Good morning. Thank you, Ty and Keely, as always. <coughs> wow, that seems like a hot mic. Good morning. Welcome again to River Valley Community Church. Welcome home, family. We're so glad to see everyone here worshiping with us this morning. Uh, it is a new year, and so just to give you a peek in where we're going, is next week we're going to start a series going through the book of Exodus. And as always, when we go through a book of the Bible, we offer these uh, scripture journals to help you take notes if you're a note taker, uh, all in one place here, and they're out in the lobby, so you can pick one of those up if you wish before we start that series next week. We'll be in that series for a good portion of this year, so... Uh, I'm looking forward to it as we walk through uh, the book of Exodus and, and gain insight into our own lives uh, from that book and what God would have us do. Uh, we are going to dive into God's Word here in a little bit, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Therefore, thank you so much for this day, <clears throat> a day that we can come out and worship you, a day in which we can gather as your body, as your people, and offer praises and thanks and glorify you. Lord, we just pray for this time as we open up your word, that you would bring it to life in our hearts, in our minds, that you would move us in the ways we need to move, teach us what we need to be taught, show us what we need to see, so that we could be your people, so that we can fall in love all again with who you are and how you have saved us through your son, Jesus Christ, that we can share that with other people, that we can be motivated for this coming year to be your people in all circumstances. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Happy New Year. It's that time. You know what time that is. New diets, new resolutions to go to the gym, new endeavors maybe you're thinking about pursuing. It's that time when people make those New Year's resolutions. And whether you, whatever you think about New Year's resolutions or not, uh, people are making them, and it's out there, and people are talking about them, like I'm talking about them right now. And I used to actually kind of make fun of New Year's resolutions. I said, hey, if you see something that needs to be changed, why don't you just change it right then and make that resolutions then? But the reality is we all know there's an importance and there's something uh, good about having that start date. Like, I'm going on this day, I'm going to start. You know, like that diet you're supposed to go on, it's always that next day you're going to start on that day, right? something good about having that start date to do something new, do something good. And so resolutions are good, and New Year's resolutions are good too, as we pursue to correct behavior or maybe get back to the basics. So, so often, when we're thinking about these resolutions, it's getting back to those basics, right? It's like, hey, I know what I should be doing, let's just do that. I know how I should be eating. I know how I should be living my life. I know what I should be pursuing. Let's do that. And as I was thinking about resolutions, I, I was further kind of convicted that these are good things because one of my great heroes of the faith made resolutions. One of the greatest theologians America has ever produced, Jonathan Edwards, back in the 1700s, made resolutions. You actually can go online and find them. There's 70 of them. When he was 18 years old, which boggles my mind, but when he was 18 years old, he sat down and over the course of a year pinned out 70 resolutions that he says, I'm going to read these every week and I'm going to live by these. He was a different animal, I think, but that's how he, he operated. And when you read these resolutions, and you can go online, as I said, and you can read these 70 resolutions, and 
basically what they get back to is going back to the basics. I'm resolved to be in the Word. I'm resolved to be praying. I'm resolved to be doing what I'm supposed to do as I know as a Christ follower I'm supposed to do. And so you look at those things and you say, that is at the heart of what resolutions at the best get to. What am I supposed to do? Let's do that. And then when I was thinking about this church and this ministry and this community of faith, I said, what would I present of what is, should we be resolved about this next year? When we're looking at 2023, what are we as a community, as River Valley Community Church, who are we, what are we resolved about? And one passage kind of surfaced, and we're going to read it, and we're going to see what the church should be resolved on. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen behind me. And we're just going to read these three little verses here that I think talk about the church and what we should be resolved on. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16 says this, And I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Dray indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. In these three little verses, Paul is charting out what the church should be, what the church should be resolved about and stand on. I'll just define it in this way. God's word defines God's people, so God's people declare God's word. When I read this passage, that's what comes up to, to kind of to the surface is the fact that God's people are defined by him, by his word. This who we are is how we take our identity. God's people are defined by God's word. And so because of that, we now, as God's people, declare that word to other people. What is the church resolved about? What do, what do we stay on and stand firm on? Is this truth that God has given us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, which defines us as his people, which now we turn around and proclaim to a world which needs to hear. That is what the church stands on, and that is what I would argue and push for and pray for. This church holds to its heart and we resolves resolved about this coming year, that we are God's people who proclaim God's truth. God's word defines God's people, so God's people declare God's word. Let's just look at this passage and see how it builds up into this moment, or this, this truth, I would say. It starts off, Paul you got, if you look at 1 Timothy, he is talking to Timothy, who's leading a church, and he's kind of giving him these practical instructions. And right before this, he gave him instructions on what are the qualifications for the overseers or elders of the church? What are the qualifications for the deacons? He's kind of setting up, this is how you do church well. This is how you manage the household of God. And then he says, hey, I have come and I'm writing to you. Why? So that you know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. But notice how he describes the church. It's a household of God. It's a very familiar terms. 
that the church is a family. The church belongs to a household. And who is this household? It's not the, the church's household. It is God's household. That the church is God's family. This is pointing to the larger, greater truth of the gospel that when we believe in who Jesus Christ is and who he revealed himself to be as a son of God who lived for us and died for us, he actually adopts us into God's family so that when we believe in Jesus, we become sons and daughters of the Most High. That through Jesus Christ, now God looks upon us Yes, even us, and sees us as his beloved children. And that's the truth of our faith. That is who we are. We are God's family. This is why so many of the writers through the Bible and Jesus himself speak in those familial terms. The household of God. And we hear this so often about how we're God's family. Sometimes it kind of can lose its punch, if you will. But just take a moment and think about that. That the Almighty Himself, the creator of heaven and earth, the all-powerful God who knit you together in your mother's womb, who formed your innermost being, the God who spun galaxies, put stars in their place and called them by name as we just sang. This God loves you, knows you, and brings you into his family. He was not content to just have you guys and us as worshipers or servants or people he kind of knows. No, he brings you in. He calls you beloved children. The household of God. That is what the church is. We are God's family. And as God's family, we're now defined by how he wants us to live, how he wants us to be. That's why Paul says this, hey, I'm, I'm writing to you, why? So that you know how you ought to behave in the household of God. That there's actually some household rules for the family of God. Now, it's really common, household, all households have rules, right? And sometimes we become really inventive and some households put household rules on like a sign in their kitchen or, or in the living room and you can read them. Like we, in this household, we promise to love fiercely and, and speak the truth and et cetera, et cetera. That's all good. Even better if you actually do it and follow those household rules. But we have those household signs. But most often, households have unwritten rules, right? You don't sit in dad's chair. Or... By some unspoken agreement, we all kind of agree where we sit at the dinner table. We just have these unspoken rules that kind of filter through the house, and this is how we operate. But God loves us so much that he doesn't just leave these rules unspoken. He actually gives us the spoken rules about how we operate as his family through Scripture. That we pick up the Scripture and we read and we see the church and what it's supposed to be and we see this is how we act with one another. This is how we serve one another. This is how we love one another. This is how we operate as a church. Not only that, but it gives us household rules as a, hey, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, this is how I am as a husband. This is how I am as a spouse. This is how I am as a child. This is how I am as an employer or employee or, or assistant or, or anything. This is how I operate in life in general. I have these household rules that God gives us and that we walk by because he has brought us into his family and as his family, we now are defined by him. 
and we're defined by his word that he's given us, that we take and we, we let it dwell richly in our hearts, that we take and we know how can, how can we please him, how can we keep from sin, you hide this in your heart, that we look at the word and we know that it's alive and active and, and piercing our souls. We look at the word and we know the truth that it's inspired, it's breathed out by God. And so these are the very words of God that we take and we live by because it defines who we are. That God's people are defined by God's word. God's word defines God's people, and so God's people declare God's word. So what does this mean? This, there's so many applications just from the very fact that we're God's family, and I would argue that this means that this community right here, this community should be open and welcoming, proclaiming this truth that other people can come into God's family. That we should be the warmest, friendliest environment ever. That anyone can walk in through these doors and be able to be warmly greeted and loved and hear the truth of who God is. That the front doors of the church, any church, this church, any church that proclaims, proclaims the gospel should be big and wide and open to all. Anyone can walk in and be loved and know they're going to be cared for and they're going to hear the truth of who God is. Because we are founded on the truth of who God is. And then this church, church that preaches the Gospels, is defined by the Word of God. Meaning we, who are part of this community, are okay with walking to the beat of a different drum. We who are defined by the word of God are okay when the world who does not know God looks upon us in whatever way they want to look upon us. And we know who we're defined by and who we follow and who we look towards for guidance in this life. Because we know we're, God's word defines God's people. But we also know that God's people declare God's word. And I love how Paul uses his imagery about what the church is. He says the church is <clears throat> this pillar and buttress of the truth. It's this great image, this architectural image of like this building. Now what is the church? It, what is it? It upholds, lifts up, supports the truth. That not only that, but I would even argue as we look at the whole scripture, that the church doesn't even just uphold the truth and support the truth, but it's grounded on the truth. That the church is about the truth. It majors in the truth, and not just any truth. It majors in the truth of who Jesus is. It majors in the truth of who God has revealed himself to be through scripture. We uphold this truth. We're a pillar in support to this truth. This word that uh, Paul uses, buttress, is only used one time in the whole Bible, and it's right here, and it means support. And it's using this, this uh, architectural term to talk about we're supporting it. And, and you think of a buttress is such a funny kind of term if you, if you think about it, but all it is is describing a pillar or architecture kind of feature that's supporting a building, it's supporting something else. Back in April 15, 2019, the world watched as the cathedral at Notre Dame burned. This cathedral, which had stood since 1180, this cathedral 
um, as, as the ceiling of the main park kind of caved in, made of 5,000 ancient oaks, people wondered, would the whole building collapse? Or would its 28 flying buttresses that surrounded it, a feature of its Gothic architecture, would they be strong enough to hold it together? Well, it lasted since 1180. Guess what? Those flying buttresses held the building even as the ceiling caved in. And this is the imagery that Paul is getting to with the church, is that no matter what's going on, no matter the attacks we receive, the church stands firm and supports and lifts up the truth of who God is. The church is a pillar and support, a pillar and a buttress to the truth. This is what we stand on, and this is what we hold true to, and this is what we are about, the truth of who God is. It's not just any truth, as I said. This is not just the truth that the world might know. This is the truth that defines all truth. This is the ultimate truth. As Jesus said himself in John 14, uh, I mean, yeah, John 14, 8, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the truth that the church stands on, and this is the truth that the church holds up and lifts up and supports and proclaims to the world which means we don't major in the minors. There's all these good things we can do, all these good things that people say the church should do, and we should be doing those, but that's not the core of who we are. And so, yes, we go and we serve the needy, we serve those less unfortunate. That's a good outworking of our faith. We do those things, but that's not the core of who we are. Yes, we should be involved in our, 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 our community. We should be involved in politics. We should be even moving for the betterment of our society, but that's not the core of who we are. Yes, we should look at our society and how it's gone wayward and seek to correct it or seek to, to, to proclaim the truth, and that's good things, but yes, but that's not the core of who we are. What is the core of who we are? We stand on the truth of God, the truth revealed in his word, the truth that comes through Jesus Christ who lived for us and died for us and rose for us and then ascended for us so that he intercedes for us and one day will come again. That is the truth we stand on and the truth we lift up and that defines who we are and that is our word to the world, that truth. And that's needed. The world needs truth. I don't know if you've looked at the world lately, if you've been on social media, or that those apps called TikTok, or other things, but truth is thought to be malleable, pliable. What's true is for that person can be true, doesn't have to be true for that person, and it's not my truth. I mean, this is, this is not new. This has been around for years and years and years, and we can see it, and we can even see it in our society where people are claiming this is my truth, and I live by that, and I don't care what they do because I live by my truth. And to this, the truth, the way, the life, speaks to us and says, no, there is only one ultimate truth that defines all other things that are true, and it's Jesus Christ. But that's not new. Just think about when uh, Jesus stood before Pilate in John uh, 18. And we have this great little dialogue in John 18 where uh, Pilate says in verse 37, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. 
Everyone else, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So this is not new, but notice what Pilate did, and it's what the world does. Jesus said, I am the truth. I bear witness to the truth. And Pilate answers, I am, uh, he goes, what is truth? He took off the he took off the definitive article. And that's no, that's no mistake on his part. What he's doing is saying, no, no, there's not the truth. What is truth? And he thinks it's a relativistic, this kind of concept that we all get to define for ourselves, that what is true for that is true. What is this concept of truth? And the truth looks at him and says, I am the truth. And I testify to the truth, which is God who defines reality, and that is what is true, what corresponds to reality, and that is what we declare to the world that's adrift in its own concepts of whatever they want to make. We declare that there is truth that they can land on. There is the truth that defines who they are. There is the, the truth that they have to come to some sort of understanding with, because they will one day, sooner or later, which means that this church, as a community of faith, we proclaim the truth of Jesus. And when people walk in these doors, they shouldn't be surprised at what they get. They get the Word of God. This is why I, I'm very committed, and, and our church is very committed, to preaching through books of the Bible. That we, we want to open up the Word and we want to say, hey, we're going to take a journey through a book of the Bible and see what all these verses say in context. See what God is revealing in this book of the Bible so that not just one voice or, or my own hobby horses and what I'm passionate about come, you know, the standard treatment we get every week. No, we're going to see what God's Word says. This is why we have elders that preach besides me. And so we have this team that rotates through. Why? Because it's not just my voice or one voice that declares the truth. It is the the word of God that we stand on, and anyone who, who is qualified can stand up here and proclaim it to the church, and the church can benefit and grow and be edified and see who God is through his word. And so when people walk into this community of faith, they should know what they get, and it's the word of God which declares the truth of who he is. And that's not just true for a Sunday gathering. That should be true for our small groups. That should be, should be true for all the um, Bible studies and discipleship groups and any gatherings. The youth group and the kids back now are hearing the Word of God. And that's true for everything the church does. Because we're committed to that fact that God's Word defines God's people. So God's people declares God's Word. And what do we declare? As I said, we declare Jesus Christ the truth. We declare that good news. That Paul gives us this little snapshot, a little kind of shorthand summary in verse 16 when he says, Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He, talking about Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And that's just a little snapshot. It doesn't cover every single detail of Jesus' life and ministry, but it's shorthand for what do we proclaim? This mystery of godliness, we proclaim Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who came down, humbled himself, took on flesh, was born a helpless babe. He lived as one of us, but was without sin. He did everything God commanded of him and required of him and fulfilled the law. He went to a death that he did not deserve. Why? So that he could take our sin, we who confess him upon himself, and give us his righteousness, his right standing before our holy God, so that now when we believe in him, we too will be in his place. We too can, be, can come before our holy God and into his family. Not only that, but he rose from the grave being vindicated by God. The father rose and said, this is truly my son. And we can see that and trust in that and see the life that awaits us. A life of purity, a life of resurrection, a life that is coming when he comes again. He ascended into heaven, so now he sits on the right hand of the father, our God, and intercedes for us day by day, moment by moment. He intercedes and says, this one is mine. This one is mine. And he intercedes before our holy God for us. And then one day, a day that we long for and wait for, one day he is coming again to set all things right, to wipe away all tears, to bring to completion his kingdom so that we truly can be with him and him with us as our God. This is the truth we proclaim to the world. The truth that we call good news because it truly is good. And it's news. It's a declaring an event that has happened and events that are going to happen. It's not declaring what we have to do. It's not declaring that we have to get our act together. It's not declaring that somehow we have to somehow be good enough to earn it. No, it's good news because he declares if we believe in Jesus, then the words of Jesus on the cross are true. It is finished, completed, and we're saved in Christ. This is the good news we proclaim to the world that we stand on. So do you believe it? Do you believe that good news? If we believe this good news, then that automatically defines who we are. We're one of his. And if we're defined by him and we're one of his, we immediately turn around and proclaim it to those who need to hear. Those who are not in our family yet, we proclaim it. Because God's word defines God's people, so God's people declare God's word. So when you think about this and we think about our, my church, our, our church, it, it, it kind of goes into our whole mission statement. As you walked in the store, you, you see the mission statement of our church above the, these, these uh, double doors. It says the mission of River Valley Community Church is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And what that just simply means is we are here to make disciples. We are here to proclaim the good news and have people respond to the good news and Jesus changed their life and then we're here and to walk alongside them wherever they are in life. That when we together, we walk, walk alongside each other so that we can lead people, lead ourselves, lead one another to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, that we can become disciples as he calls us to be, that we can become his people in all circumstances. This is why we exist as a church. It's just back to the basics of why the church has always exists, 
to glorify God and to proclaim him to the nations. And it starts here. It starts in your workplace. It starts in your families. It starts wherever we are taken. We proclaim God. That we're defined by God's word. That we know who we are as a church. We are God's people. And that we stand on this truth. We uphold this truth. We proclaim this truth. This defines us. This is who we are. That means that if we ever find ourselves or you ever see the church in any kind of capacity drifting from the truth of the word, it's the responsibility of the church to help gently correct it. To say, I think we've gotten off track. I think we're, we're looking at something in the minors, and, but we should be back towards what is central to who we are. And we gently, lovingly correct and guide the ship towards that truth to stand on it, to proclaim it, to lift it high so that everyone can see it. And when everyone sees that truth, when people see that truth, guess what? God works in the truth of the gospel and changes hearts. We don't do that. We don't have the power. It was up to us, my goodness, we would be doomed, but God uses the truth of the gospel to work in people's hearts, to soften them, to replace hearts of stones with hearts of flesh, to open up their eyes, spiritually speaking, so they can see this truth, realize it, and respond with all of who they are. And so what is our job in that? Is we uphold that truth and hold it out, and as well as we can, proclaim it to people so that God works through that and the church will grow. No guarantee this church will grow, but the church, God's church, will grow as people respond to the truth and are changed and want to proclaim it to their friends and families, neighbors. And so that is our mission, to make disciples. And that mission is carried out together as a corporate body. All we do, that is our focus. That should be our laser focus that we're proclaiming this truth and holding it and building the body of Christ up, building new believers up, proclaiming the truth so that people become new believers. This is our focus together as a church and all the elements that we do. And then we do that together. As a church gathered together, we proclaim this. And when the church is scattered, when you leave here after this Sunday, morning, when you go home, when you go into your work come Monday, when you go into school on Monday, wherever you go on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all those days, you are the church scattered. And you do the exact same thing as hope, stand on that truth and proclaim it where you are. So we as a church gathered and a church scattered, we stand on this truth and our business is to proclaim it and make disciples so that people grow and respond. Because we believe the truth that God's word defines God's people. So God's people declare God's word. And that's what we'll be doing for this year and God willing, many years to come as we stand on the truth and proclaim it. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth that we can stand on, for the truth we can respond to, for who you are and how you love us. Lord, I just pray for this body, for everyone here, for everyone who couldn't be here, for sickness or for 
through other reasons, and I just pray that we as a community of faith can stand on your word, that we won't be moved from it, that we won't be moved uh, or enticed or lured away by other things, but we stand on your truth, and then we know that it defines us so that we now proclaim it to everyone who would hear. That we do that with as much winsomeness and as much gentleness and love as possible, but we stand firm and proclaim it boldly and courageously. Because we know the truth that you work through the gospel. That the power of gospel is for our salvation. Let us stay true to your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may stand for this last